The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is superior to everything. And being so much greater, he has brought a lot of changes. He has changed the priesthood. He brought the change in covenants. And maybe the most important thing Jesus has changed, me. I was a lost sinner, far from God, rebellious. And Jesus not only took away my sin, he made me a new creation. He's made me hunger and thirst for the things of God. He changed me. The Holy Spirit lives within me. God's law is written on my heart. I was dead in my sin. Now I am alive in Christ. Why Jesus? Because he changes how I live. Stop. I'm not going to let you ruin another one. Let's break that down for a second. First of all, I'm not going to let you, as in, I'm going to exercise any pastoral authority that I have in this moment to forbid this atrocity that's happening. And then the fact that he used the word ruin kind of cracked me up. He didn't say, stop, I'm, I'm not going to let you sing a hymn badly. Or, stop, I don't think your heart's into it. You're actually ruining a hymn. And then to me, the icing on the cake of this, <laughs> this sentence is another one. I'm not going to let you ruin another one. As in, this isn't the first time. This isn't the first hymn that you've butchered. And I just can't tolerate that. But he wasn't wrong, by the way. And I just have to ask, why do we do that? You know, the same people that go to the, you know, they go to the Steeler game, and they're up and they're dancing and they're like, here we go, Steelers! And they're like, go, Mean Joe Green, or whoever plays for the Steelers now. And... uh those same people that are just so, so passionate about this, this game. Then they show up at church and they're like, God, there's no one like you, God. And there will never be. Why do we do that? You know, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with your heart soul, mind, and strength. And you know why we worship in music? This is one way that we worship. But do you know why we worship in music? Is this is the mechanism by which we are able to worship God with our emotions. Because music is emotional. We love God with our emotions in worshiping in song. And if we're honest... Many of us don't go after it the way that we should. True or false? You're like, well, why not? Maybe we don't see the reason. Well, that's about to change. Because we're going to worship soon. But first, we're going to dive into God's Word, and you're going to see very plainly you have reason to worship. And the Hebrew writer closes this section on faith with a powerful crescendo. We've seen that faith 
Faith is not easy. Faith calls us to make very hard decisions. Faith calls us to say no to our fleshly desires. We've seen that when you have faith, when you're a child of God, you're under his discipline. That is not easy. And we saw last week that your race of faith affects more than just you because you're called to be a part of a community and other eyes are watching. And you see, the life of faith can become so difficult that we start to lose sight of all the reasons that we have to worship. So let's be reminded from our text today. That's where the Hebrew writer is taking us. You have reason to worship. And then we are going to blow the roof off this place. All right? So I have reason to worship. You're like, convince me, Hefe. Number one, write this down. I live in grace, not law. Why do I worship? Because I live in grace, not law. Now, this passage is very difficult, but we're going to break it down, and we're going to get through it together, and you're going to see this is, this is glorious. Because what the Hebrew writer here is doing, very plainly, you'll see, he's contrasting two mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. He's contrasting the two to show us that we worship because we live in grace, not law. All right, look at verses 18 through 21. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Like, what's he talking about? He's talking about Exodus chapter 19. And I want to encourage you to go back and read that. Not right now. But I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But I do encourage you sometime today, just go back and take a few moments and read it. Here's the paraphrase. You know, Israel, under the leadership of Moses, left uh, slavery, left Egypt. And on their travels, they camped at Mount Sinai, where Moses went up to meet with God. And God said, tell Israel, they must obey me. Then a thick cloud covered the mountain, and God said, do not touch the mountain, and anything that touches the mountain shall be stoned. On the third day, the Bible tells us there was a cloud and lightning, and thunder, and smoke, and trumpet blast. And and the Bible says Israel trembled. Could you imagine seeing this? Israel trembled. And then the Bible says the whole mountain trembled. 
And God once again speaks. He says, don't allow anyone to come through and try to see what is going on or they will die. Israel was scared out of their minds. And they cried out, please, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us on on His behalf, but do not let God speak to us, please, or we will die. The scene was completely, it's, it's terrifying. It is a terrifying scene. Like, why? What's going on here? Well, God was saying that he is holy, perfect majesty, and sinful man cannot come and be in the presence of such majesty. That's Exodus 19. And then you turn the page, do you know um, you know what's in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments. See, God was laying it down. The law showed us that God has this perfect standard that we are unable to keep. That was what the law did, right? And if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, you know what, I think I do pretty good. I'm going to give you a quick test. We're going to go through this very quickly. But I just want you somewhere on the side of your outline, give yourself a check. I'm going to go through the commandments very quickly. Give yourself a check for every commandment you've broken, okay? I think some of you know where this is going. But God in Exodus 20, God gave the Ten Commandments. Give yourself a check. The first commandment is there's only one God. There's no other gods. So let me ask you, have you always loved God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and made him the priority every moment of every day of your life? Have you? If not, give yourself a check. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself any idols. You shouldn't have anything that you worship besides God. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been anything in your life more important than God? Well, that's an idol. Give yourself a check. The third commandment is do not use the Lord's name in vain. Have you ever spoken the name of God irreverently or spoken about God in a way that doesn't represent God? You're speaking his name in vain. Give yourself a check. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, we saw in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. But there's a principle there. Because we have this tendency to want to work and go about our business all the time and make no room for God. He said, you must take a day where you rest and where you worship. How are you doing there? You're like, not great. Well, then give yourself a check. The fifth commandment is honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. Have you always done that? Have you always honored your parents? No? Give yourself a check. Sixth commandment is do not murder. You're like, yes! I got one. Hang on. Because Jesus said, if you've ever hated someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So according to the definition of murder by the Son of God, have you ever hated someone? Then you're guilty of murder. Give yourself a check. Where are we at? Seven? Seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. Again, Jesus showed us in the Sermon on the Mount that um, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. So if you're a man, give yourself a check. For sure. The eighth commandment is do not steal. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Give yourself a check. The ninth commandment is do not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? Told a lie? 
Even a little white lie, which is still a lie. Have you ever told a lie? Give yourself a check. And the 10th commandment is do not covet. Have you ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? Give yourself a check. All right. Anybody check free? You see the problem? You want to go to Mount Sinai where the holy majesty of God is sitting and you've got all these checks because you're admittedly, you're a, you're, you're a sinner. You see the problem? God says, this is my standard. And you just want to walk up to Sinai? Uh, no, you, you don't want to go to Sinai with all this sin on your record because you know what's not at Sinai? Mercy. There's no forgiveness. There's no grace. You know what's at Sinai? Law. That's at Sinai. Law. Justice. That's what you find at Sinai. And since you can't keep the law, you're doomed going there. Because all the law does is expose your sin. And it brings judgment. Yet, most people, and even a lot of people in church, have this mindset that I, I, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. I don't understand that. I hear people in the church say that. I just hope someday that I'm good enough to go to heaven. You're not. You're not even close. Neither am I. None of us are good enough. If you come to God as this guilty sinner, you should be terrified. Look at verse 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Do you see this? Do you see the contrast? You didn't go to Sinai, Christians. He said, you have come to a different mountain. You have come to Zion. Like, well, what's, what's Zion? Zion is the hill that Jerusalem was built on. That's what Zion is. Zion is where Jesus Christ was crucified. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is this. Don't miss this because this is the whole point in this chunk. He says, you believers have not come to God through keeping his law at Sinai. You have come to God by going through his gracious sacrifice at Zion. You're like, come come where? I think it's obvious in verse 22, right? He's talking about all the way to heaven. The city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. Do you see that? The, you know the phrase I love here? You can underline this in your Bible, and if you won't, um, the person next to you, underline it in their Bible if they won't do it. But I love this. It, heaven is described as a festal gathering. Just going to take a minute and unpack that for you. What's a festal gathering? What's another, what's another word for that? It's a party. It's a party. 
And I got to throw that out because so many times over my ministry, I've heard people say, heaven sounds boring. I'm like, you're boring. Heaven sounds boring? Are you kidding me? The Bible says that God is going to throw a party. What kind of a party do you think God throws? It is going to be awesome. I'm just, I just had to... But if you hear anybody say that, please bite them. Just right in the arm. Not hard enough to draw blood, but hard enough to get their attention. And then tell them they're boring. But he says, I, I love this. He says, who are enrolled in heaven. Underline that too, since you're in the underlining business. Enrolled in heaven. I've shared with you before. Um, one time I performed a wedding and Aaron and I showed up at the wedding reception and we were not on the guest list. How humiliating was that to walk in? Got my best girl. She looks like a trillion dollars. They have a nice dinner together, little wedding celebration, and we are not on the guest list. That was so humiliating. But here he says, no, no, no. You are on God's guest list. You are enrolled in heaven. He has a place for you at this party. Because, because, you're like, well, what about all these check marks, Pastor Jeff? Huh? What about all these check marks? Look at the end of verse 23. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. Underline that too. Just underline the whole section. Made perfect. So important. Look, you have to be perfect to enter God's presence. You have to be perfect. And by all the little check marks on your paper, you've just admitted that you're not. So you have a problem. Like, I'm not perfect. But there's another way to obtain perfection besides your works, which is great because none of us are perfect. There's another way to obtain perfection. You're like, well, what's that? Well, look at verse 24. It says, unto Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is how you're made perfect. It's through Jesus' new covenant. And it says, the, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You're like, what's that, what's, what's, what's that all about? Well, uh, Cain and Abel, right? Genesis chapter 4, Cain killed his brother Abel. And you remember God shows up to Cain and he says, Abel's blood is crying out to me from the ground. What was Abel's blood crying out? Vengeance. And see, that's what the Hebrew writer here is saying. Jesus' blood doesn't cry out vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out a better word. And you know what that word is? Acceptance. Acceptance. So, church, we have reason to worship because we have come to Zion. Only at Zion do we find the grace and the mercy and the acceptance from God because of what Jesus did on our behalf. You see that? Dying on the cross. On the cross, bearing the wrath of God for all of my check marks and all of your check marks. 
bearing the wrath of God for the sins of anyone who will believe. God saved us from his own wrath. That's what happened at this mountain, Zion. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. So we don't live under the terror of the law. We live under the freedom of his grace. And to know this and to truly understand and and embrace that only brings one real reaction. That's worship. I have reason to worship. I live in grace, not law. Number two, here's a reason to worship. Write this down. I will never be destroyed. Look at verse 25. It says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's Moses, that's Sinai, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. That's Jesus. That's Zion. He's saying, um, Jews, you know the story of Israel in the Old Testament? Did they escape the consequences of their disobedience? You're like, they sure did not. He goes, okay. So what makes you think you're going to escape if you disobey? The command to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the last call to Jesus. All right, we've seen it many times in Hebrews. He's taking one last hard run at it. In the most <laughs> powerful way possible. He gives one last warning. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, at that time, at what time? At the time of Sinai, Exodus 19. That's what he's, at that time, his voice shook the earth shaking Sinai. He goes, but now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. Okay? He's, um, he's quoting Haggai 2.6 there. You're like, well, what's he talking about? I'm so glad you asked because he, the very next verse he explains why he's quoting that. He goes, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. Creation, right? In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, so what he's saying is this. Back in Exodus 19... In Moses' day, Israelite's day, God shook Sinai. He says, but listen, I want to remind you from the Word of God, Haggai 2.6 is one of many verses in the Old Testament that talk about this. But the day is coming that God is going to give the earth one final shake. A few years ago, we studied this in the book of Revelation. We get a lot of detail on this. In Revelation uh, We studied the the seven-year tribulation. The world was ravaged. God sent uh, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. And then do you remember what happened after that? Jesus Christ returns in glory. And he establishes his thousand-year kingdom on the earth. And then what happens after that? Revelation 20, Revelation 21. That's the last shake. He destroys everything. 
in order to establish the new heavens and the new earth. That's what he's talking about here. The day's coming. Look, sin has run its course. And he says, the day's coming. The, God's going to shake everything in the universe. And the only thing that's going to remain is that which cannot be shaken. Like, what's that? Those are the eternal souls that have believed in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you cannot be shaken. You see that phrase all throughout the Old Testament, I will not be shaken, I will not be shaken. Have you ever wondered what that meant? You know, some people think it means like just tremble with fear. No, no, no. It means I will not be destroyed under the judgment of God. That's what it means when the Bible talks about God shaking the earth. I will endure. I will last. I will not be shaken. Everything will be destroyed. But if you're a follower of Christ, you will never be destroyed. The heavens and earth are going to burn. Those who have not come to Jesus will be destroyed forever in hell. But if you belong to Christ, you have nothing to fear. That's reason to worship. That's reason to worship. In about 15 minutes, God's going to shut this whole thing down. But you will remain to enter into his joy forever. Why aren't we more fired up about this? I mean, I would say the vast majority of you believe this, and I believe it. So why aren't we more fired up about this? I thought about that a lot this week. Maybe, maybe it's because we don't see it. You think that might be it? Maybe because what we do see are babies being murdered. Maybe because what we do see are drag queens doing shows for children. Maybe because what we do see is flagrant corruption. That's what we see. But you know, maybe maybe that's where faith comes in. As we saw in chapter 11, if you were with us through that series, faith moved Abraham and Moses and that, that whole cast of characters to look ahead. Not to what was happening in the here and now, but we saw very clearly their, the, the faith of these incredible people from Old Testament times. They were commended because their faith was based not on what God was doing in the time alone, but, but based on what God would do. So I just have to ask us, church, you know, if you, don't, if you don't feel like worshiping right now, because things are hard right now, and I know for a lot of you, things are very difficult right now. And if you don't feel like worshiping right now because of your circumstances right now, can you find reason to worship for what's coming soon? 
If you're not that excited about what God's doing now, can you worship God for what he's going to do? And finally, I have reason to worship because I've been given everything. Look at verse 28. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. There it is. There it is. He says, um, let us be grateful. You know, the bigger the gift, the bigger the thanks, right? The bigger the gift, the bigger the thanks. What do I mean? Like if I gave you a piece of gum, you would say, thanks. If you needed a ride to the airport and I gave you a ride to the airport, you'd be like, hey, thanks. If I said, I'll watch your kids for the weekend so you can have a romantic getaway with your spouse, you'd be like, oh, thank you. You see, the bigger the gift, the bigger the thanks, right? I mean, we get that. The bigger gifts naturally receive bigger gratitude. So the question is this, how big is God's gift? He tells us right here. See the gift that God's given you? Let us be grateful for receiving what? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. God has given you the eternal glory of heaven. Everything that God has and everything that God is, he's just handed it to you because of what his son has done on your behalf. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to remind you, you've been given everything. Literally. Everything. So are you grateful? Are you grateful for that? Well, you're going to have a chance in a moment to express your love and your gratitude for God. I'd like to ask if our worship team would come forward and our elders would come up. There is... uh, No better way to celebrate what it means to come to Zion than to gather around the Lord's table for communion. Look at verse 29. I didn't forget it. This was very difficult because I could spend so much time just in this one verse. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. You know what that means? You see, a fire, a fire will destroy what it cannot purify. But a fire will purify what it cannot destroy. And that's why he closes this glorious, majestic section by reminding us that God is a fire. And you will know him as your destroyer, or in Christ, you will know him as your purifier. This is Pastor Jeff Miller, and I would like to thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North. 
And you know, a question that I get asked frequently from people is this, how can I support your ministry? Well, I got good news for you. It is easy and it is secure. All you have to do is go to harvestpittsburghnorth.org backslash giving and follow the on-screen directions and you can give online to support the ministry of Harvest Pittsburgh North. So until next time, this is Pastor Jeff Miller saying thank you again for listening to the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel, Pittsburgh North.